Hello and welcome to TA Playlist, the official game club of TrueAchievements.com. I'm once again your host. My name is Mark. Many of you will know that by now, I think. Gamertag, not Penny's Boat. Joining me today, he's here to translate all of the British humor that may have gone over my head. It's probably quite a bit, I imagine. It's Sam, Gamertag, Kantaris. Hello. Hi. For the many Kevin fans on site, and I know there's several whenever I read his op-eds, he couldn't join us for this episode. He just got boggled down uh, with uh, some new work assignments, and he just couldn't finish his journey through Albion. Uh, we will still hear from him in brief momentarily, however. So as everyone should know by now, March 2018 has officially been Fable 2 month on site. That's the topic of today's podcast. It generated a lot of forum feedback, more than several other months, I believe, uh, certainly in content, if not, if not just quantity. And in particular, that's due to one user on site, Gamertag, Guardian Angel GG, who may very well be the world's biggest Fable fan. <laughs> uh, we'll get to him a few times over the course of the show, but from the top, we, we should remind people that he's gifted us not one, but two $50 gift cards for Xbox to give away simply because he was so excited to see Fable back in some sort of spotlight 10 years later. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, which is very generous of him, but uh, both winners of those prizes will be announced over the course of this show, which I think makes for a fun new wrinkle for this specific episode, and that's actually something we hope to do more of in future months, too. Uh, although m maybe our pockets aren't as deep as seemingly his are. <laughs> and yeah, like I said, I, I want to thank him again personally uh, for his generosity and his enthusiasm. He was all over the forums, responding at length to everybody. Uh, I even reached out to him via PM private message rather to uh to gauge some more of his thoughts on fable which i'll be sharing later it'll, it'll become obvious i think that he might very well be the world's biggest fable fan he admits <laughs> he hadn't previously interacted with ta playlist but as i think happens every month we end up welcoming in some new perspectives based on our featured games i think it's just the fact that every game is somebody's favorite that they're dying to talk about again or it's 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 atop somebody's backlog that they've been meaning to try out or get back to and in this instance, it, it was Guardian Angel GG who was extremely enthusiastic to join us. And he was really uh, an MVP all, all throughout the month in gamer sessions and forums and just everything. So thanks to him. But yeah, we'll, we'll get to those prizes a bit later on. As for Fable 2, it won the March playlist poll by just narrowly in our closest poll ever, edging out Perfect Dark Zero by a half dozen votes. Uh, previous to that, I think the closest poll was only... It was a a spread of about 40 votes or so between Hitman and Alice a couple months ago. So that one was, was especially exciting, especially since we gave up on it with days to go, and then we came back to realize it's actually a bit more of a race than we had thought. Behind that were two other games, Halo Wars, the RTS from Creative Assembly, and DMC Devil May Cry, the seemingly polarizing reboot of Capcom's action series, this one by Ninja Theory. Uh, all four were and continue to be featured in Xbox Game Pass, which helped balance the poll, I think. Or at least that was the plan. But yeah, so a bit of background on Fable 2, as we like to do. It was developed exclusively for Xbox 360 by the now defunct, sadly, Lionhead Studios. They they uh, left us a couple years ago. It was the first game in the series to be made for the 360 after the debut launched on the original Xbox. It released to widespread acclaim in 2008, earning an, 80, an 89 on Metacritic and game rankings, and it's generally regarded as both a classic Xbox exclusive title and the best in the series. We'll get into, obviously, exactly how we feel it stacks up 
in its series and in a modern context over the course of this episode. Before we go a step further into the land of, I'm still not sure, Albion? Albion? I think you say Albion because it's just a, an accent thing. Am I allowed to say Albion? It's, um, <laughs> it depends, you know, it's like if you're the kind of person who'd come over here and say Buckingham Palace at everyone, then then no, you're not allowed to say it like that. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll try to stick to Albion <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> and for the record, so that should be Buckingham then? Is that what it is? Yes, it should be Buckingham. Yeah, yeah. Please don't okay. come over here and say Buckingham at anyone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that's good intel. I'll keep that in mind. Uh, but yeah, as we always do, uh, we do need Kevin to explain it all to us. As we said, he couldn't be here in full, but he didn't want to leave us hanging with his uh, his concise and, and somewhat snarky uh, recaps of the story. So let's let's cut now to Kevin to fill that in for us. Hey guys, thanks for inviting me to share in the story of Fable 2 with you at the very least. I'm sorry everyone that I couldn't be here, hopefully next month. Regardless, I do want to talk about Fable 2 a little bit. So this game is is really exciting. You start off as a little kid whose sister gets murdered by evil Lord Lucian and says that you're a hero apparently. And then you're captured by Teresa who raises you like her own son or daughter depending on your gender turns out you're extremely cross-eyed and you live in a world where you can do literally anything you want uh, supposedly except you can't and so you spend your days being a blacksmith and becoming a land baron or really whatever else you want to do until you finally get around to the main quest which involves recruiting three different heroes seeing time pass a lot and eventually killing lord lucian who turns out is a real bastard so that's 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 about it really uh, enjoy. So with this being the second game in the series, I was a bit hesitant at one point, at least to offer it in a site poll before we'd at least tried to cover the original game. I, you know, generally speaking, we like to start from the beginning of a series if we're going to cover a series at all. Uh, however, because this one is so highly regarded among fans, and following just after rumors swirled that a new Fable's in the works, I think we all ultimately agreed. Now was a great time to play Fable with the TA community, and, and thus we picked the one that is apparently the best, according to most people. Having said that, what's your history with the series, Sam? Including not just the numbered sequels, but there was a Connect exclusive, uh, there's a new card game that just came out weeks ago, and maybe if you even touched it at all, the... Uh, canceled fable legends which ultimately led to the studio's closure have you how much of the universe have you spent your time in so fable 2 was actually my my entry point and it was one of the very early games that i had on the 360 as well so it was definitely a formative game for not just fable games but xbox in general and achievements and everything else so that was my jumping on point um and I played Fable 3. I got it on launch day. I got a collector's edition of it because I was I was genuinely excited for it. But um, yeah, it it was it wasn't as good as I was hoping it was going to be, which is a shame. But it, I I certainly didn't react to it as badly as perhaps some other people in the community. But um, so that was Fable 3. Um, Fable 1. I I didn't have an Xbox uh, originally, so uh, I I didn't get to touch that. I did briefly touch it. Uh, a couple of days ago, actually, as as Fable Anniversary, the the remastered edition of, of Fable One that came out, um, 
but I couldn't get on with it. It's it's just a little bit too far back for me in terms of the way it handles, the way it plays. I couldn't couldn't really cope with it, so I dropped it unfortunately. But I never really touched the Connect either, so I don't really know much about the the Connect game. And I very very briefly played the card game at EGX Res last year, but again, it's it's just a little bit too off to the side for me to really get into. I mean, it's not. I I, I enjoy fantasy RPG games when they're behaving like fancy RPG games are not really into all the side games and stuff so I, I guess Fable the card game was never going to work for me and I, I did follow along with Fable Legends as it was being developed as well but by that point I developed myself a bit of a maybe even a little unfair bias against Lionhead and I, I just the way that was going I just really didn't see it coming to fruition and and I guess I was right in the end unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> At the expense of all their jobs, for how pleasant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely agree with the CCG. I, I don't play card games, uh, mm. almost ever really. I mean, I love The Witcher as well, and I played that whole game without even touching the the green <laughs> card game. Yeah. So I don't think I'll ever play. What was uh, Fable Fortune? It's called. Yeah, it's a new one. Mm. I think it's. Mm. I think it's still officially in game preview right now on Xbox. But yeah, I'll probably always avoid that one. And like you, I, I just kind of watched Fable Legends from a distance. I had only had my Xbox One for a few months mm. by the time it was canceled. So I and I hadn't actually at that time when it was canceled, I hadn't played any Fable yet, um, not even the numbered ones. Mm. So I, I didn't I didn't have any strong takeaways from that one. And then, yeah, again, like you, actually with the Connect, I I just almost didn't have a Connect at all. I think I bought a Connect. Uh, just a couple months before I bought an Xbox One because I was kind of just messing about with my 360 at the time, trying to extend its lifespan while everyone else was moving on to the next gen. And that <laughs> ended up being kind of a waste of time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, as for the mainline trilogy, if we can call it a trilogy, I mean, they're kind of standalone. I played the third one first. I don't remember why, but I just did it a few months ago. I would say back in October or so, or maybe September, November, somewhere in that window. I played my my first Fable game, and knowing nothing about it, I came away like loving it really for for reasons I'll that extend to this game as well that I'll talk about over the course of this episode. But uh, and then I found out after the fact that it's apparently the one that most people dislike or, or even loathe sometimes, and I was surprised to hear that. And mm. but it, it made me hopeful for the others, thinking you know if if I enjoyed this one so much and people tend to hate it, then I guess I'll really like the others. So then just before, actually it was during Rise month, last month, uh, Rise was such a quick game. Like I said on that episode, I, th I think I was done with my playthrough for that game on like February 6th or something like that. So I spent much of the rest of the month playing through Fable Anniversary, uh, knowing that Fable 2 was coming up and that it had a good chance of winning. And that's exactly how that turned out. I, I loved uh, Fable Anniversary as well. And now I played too. So I've, I've played them almost as much out of order as i could uh but i i i still i still uh enjoyed my time with well with i'll just say with all of them pretty much i you know it's not really much of a spoiler <laughs> i don't have to hide the fact that i i do really uh i do really enjoy this this universe well i mean to be honest i didn't play um, them in a particularly sensible order either i i've gone two three two again three again a bit one for half an hour and then three for half an hour so <laughs> so i've i've got a very scattershot view of the whole series it's but then like you said they're mostly standalone so i guess it's 
although they are technically a trilogy of games that that uh, and and they follow a certain chronology then they're, they're really not um so connected that you need to worry about the order you're playing in them too much i don't think yeah yeah i'd agree i i guess overall the if you're going to follow it as a trilogy it's more about the lifespan of the heroes guild and everything else you know there's recurring mm. characters and recurring settings and places like that but you can you can pretty much consume them in, in any order and and you know, had I only played the second one for this month and not played any others, I wouldn't really feel like I'd been even missing much at all. Although, no, some of the there's there's one particular side mission that deals with a, a pair of buffoons, uh, and I remember them being in the first game as well, and I, I found them hilarious in both versions. But uh, other than that, <laughs> that was my only strong takeaway from from having some context for for two this month. So we we typically start with story. But I, I think it fits this game best if we first address the game's controversial director, Peter Molyneux. Throughout his career, he's been one to overpromise and underdeliver. And I, I, I say this sort of from a place of taking people's word for it. I don't follow him that closely. I have heard some of his claims. Uh, I remember the most famous one is probably when he said players and the original fable could plant an acorn and return in-game years later to see a tree have grown in its place. Um, is that I have that right, right? Yeah, that's that's the the kind of core story that I think stuck stuck with both um, both Molyneux and with Fable ever since <laughs> ever since that story happened. To be honest, it's always one that people have brought up whenever there's a new Fable game. Yeah, so it's followed him around a bit. Yeah, so his yeah his reputation kind of. Uh... It kind of put the studio in a tough spot a lot of the times, I think. Or, again, at least it seems that way. I have i didn't know him well. I, I didn't have much experience with Lionhead's games previously outside of a PC game called The Movies, which was a, a sim, and it's, it's totally different. But, he, yeah, he does seem to have gotten his studio into trouble with that public perception over the years. Though, you know, I think it's quite obvious that's not what ultimately closed the studio in 2016. That was maybe a, a misguided multiplayer game from Microsoft. But despite his troubles with saying the wrong thing or biting off more than his developers could chew, I've always viewed him as a sympathetic character. It seems to me, at least, you know, again from some distance, that he's always meant well, at least according to what I've read about him. But I I know, Sam, you once had a different take on him. You shared it with me maybe a couple weeks ago leading up to this month. Did you want to open up the discussion on that at all? Yeah, so... I mean, my my opinion on him flip-flops quite a lot. I think there's two ways to look at him. There's how he acts publicly and the promises that he made or or didn't make and people thought that he made. And But there's also what we can infer from his personality and what that probably was like internally for the development team. Um, I mean, in terms of what he actually said and when, actually the vast majority of overpromising that he did for Fable in particular was f- to do with Fable 1. And I think that was where a lot of actual promises were perhaps broken um particularly around uh i think i think that multiplayer was promised for for fable one and that never happened um and that was obviously you know even by today's standards that'd be quite a big ball to drop i suppose um and in fact from from what i can tell fable two actually spent a lot more time addressing the promises broken in fable one's development than it did hmm. making any new promises that that weren't kept so i, I think maybe that might even be why two tends to be seen as the most positive because maybe there wasn't this so much of a cloud of actual broken promises over there even though people still had the cloud of broken promises following them around from the first fable maybe the marketing towards fable 2 wasn't quite as laden with with specific 
um, Molyneux-isms that, that derailed <laughs> the conversation a bit. But I think that actually most of Molyneux's reputation for overpromising comes from before even Fable 1. Uh, the movies just wasn't the game that people thought it was going to be. And Black and White in particular was, was another one where it just wasn't as advanced as, as people perhaps thought it was going to be. But but then there are a lot of other developers um, in, in various companies that have made similar promises and it hasn't worked out. I mean, if you look at something like Black and White, but also a game like uh, Spore, which was um, EA's uh, and, and Maxis's sort of all-encompassing god sim, very much like Black and White. And, and they also made loads of promises beforehand and it didn't really work out that way. So I definitely think that Molyneux gets perhaps a little bit of a bad rap for... Um, or, or rather uh, singling him out uh, is maybe a bit unfair because there are a lot of people like him in the industry. But having said that, I think that having someone like that overseeing your studio while you're mm-hmm. crunching and while you're under a lot of pressure to get something done and it's a, it's, a, it's a console exclusive and everything else, I think having that kind of character around in the office, I can imagine based on my own experiences in offices with similar personalities that it would have added a lot of pressure to to the whole experience and maybe some of the elements that are a little less um, well received in the Fable series overall um, might be so because the developers weren't able to concentrate on them so much because they were trying to keep up with all the promised features and all the little tricks and pieces that that Molyneux might have mentioned in public rather than being able to focus on the core gameplay aspects so yeah it's it, I'm I'm certainly not as sour on him as I used to be, but I still think that there's he probably had a had somewhat of a negative impact on on some of the game's development, and I think I think it it does show in in Fable Two in places, although not as much as perhaps in in One and Three. Yeah, I I could imagine you know being a developer at Lionhead, you're working at your desk and you're trying to build this game, and on TV you see Molyneux making all these empty promises that you now have to. <laughs> go and fulfill and you know it's it's now become your duty to not make them empty and i could imagine that's that's quite excruciating so it's it's a bit of a different perspective for if i was working there yeah i i I think he would be more intolerable (laughs) uh but i I don't know (laughs) something about him uh you know from from granted again what little i know about him and the few times i've seen him speak he just seems to mean well, and so I, I kind of always found myself rooting for him, although, you know, retroactively, because I kind of came into this series long after, uh, pretty much long after his body of work. I don't think he's done much for years now. You know, I, I couldn't really root for him in the moment because things, you know, his history had long passed with the Fable series, but I kind of look back on him thinking like, yeah, I, I kind of feel bad for him in a way i guess on that note we actually have our first bit of feedback here from the forums it's a it's a gamer tag i hadn't seen yet and it's kind of a humorous one it's skinny kim jung uh was speaking directly to these points as well they said when the first fable came out for the xbox i remember being so amped for it peter molyneux had said this rpg was going to let you actually live and age with your character i remember this line blew me away it went something like play as a child carve a tree Come back years later to see that same carving in that tree, but aged. <laughs> My teenage mind couldn't comprehend this at the time. I was floored. As soon as the game came out, I realized, and Rich likes us to keep this uh, 
<laughs> vulgarity free so i'm gonna have to edit briefly uh what he said but he said i realized this was i played as a child for like five minutes before being force-fed cutscenes explaining how i grew up and became an adult mr molyneux was interviewed afterwards and he explained how there were limitations with current generation consoles to do what he really wanted to do fast forward to fable 2 and i remember i skeptically jumped on the hype train and was let down yet again you play as a child for like 10 minutes before growing up again. Then you get imprisoned, if my memory serves me correctly, for years to rob you of playtime and make you age. I have no idea where the love for Fable comes from. This is literally the last Fable game I'll ever touch. I don't even look in the direction of anything Fable-related anymore, and go out of my way to avoid anything by Peter Molyneux. Nothing about this game reminds me of anything great. <laughs> so that's obviously a very harsh first bit of feedback, but it does... It does help paint the the anti Molyneux stance that a lot of people share. Uh, even though, as I said, I, I I don't really see him that way. I I kind of root for him, even though yeah, maybe he's an annoyance to his coworkers and his employees. <laughs> <laughs> but I do have to say though, I mean, this is kind of this is indicative of a of a certain a certain way that we engage with games and particularly game developers is that you know this was we're talking about a game that came out in 2008 but 10 years on we're still reacting to certain developers and certain promises made and things like that in the same way that that you know you can make just a couple of incorrect promises or or even not do that and just make expectations and, and not realize that people have a certain expectation of your game and and you can really damage not just your reputation but the reputation of your entire company so yeah it's it's still a relevant thing to talk about today i think as well yeah you're right Lucian disappeared from Castle Fairfax that night, certain that those who might stand in his way were dead. But some grief is so great, even death may keep its distance. And so the boy survived. Days later, far from the dark alleys of Bowerstone, life slowly returned to his small broken body. The boy awoke to a familiar face watching over a strange bed. He reached out for the comfort of the dog's warm fur, ready to take his first steps in a new life. Ten winters blanketed Albion. Ten summers filled the air with the sounds of insects and laughter. With time, the boy's pain turned to strength. His grief became will. A will to change the world and to avenge the death that still haunted his every dream. So we, uh, we usually begin with some of the central characters. And again, it's kind of hard to start there with our protagonist, in this case, as he or she is somewhat user-created and certainly open to fulfilling different roles depending on the player's choices and actions. So I guess we should start with that aspect of Fable 2, the way it tracks and measures a player's alignment on a good and evil scale. You can make a lot of binary decisions throughout the game. Sometimes this will mean a quest has two decision branches at the end, and other times this means you can outright skip certain quests if they don't serve the role you're carving out for your character. For example, you won't likely be interested in killing a group of innocent farmers if you're playing to be a well-intentioned hero. Did you find yourself role-playing your character to create someone you could recognize and establish, or did you just dive into your quest log without a care for that aspect of it? Um, I think, on the whole, certainly in my most recent playthrough, I kind of just went for it. I mean, I must admit that for this particular playthrough, I was looking to clean up my achievements as well, so that might have slightly marred my experience of, of kind of appreciating the the good versus evil aspects, because I'd kind of done a lot of 
a lot of the achievements that were related to to that kind of thing were already done so mm-hmm. i was kind of just going through it i guess role playing as me which is not something i necessarily always do but so i ended up being mostly good um but not necessarily going out of my way to to be extra good which is <laughs> kind of a damning i just kind of made a, a damning point about <laughs> that, that's myself, you huh? but, <laughs> okay um but yeah i think um <laughs> the game makes it extremely clear how you go good and how you go evil it's not a game that that kind of does it in black in a kind of a gray area like maybe games later like the witcher would so it was quite easy to stay on a good path and and it made kind of logical sense to stay on it so so i didn't really look into the villainous side so much i do remember playing a bit of a villain on my some of my original playthroughs because i i distinctly remember coming back from uh, coming back from the tower and finding a lot of the settlements to be in a, a, a poor state when I thought about the time I came back and you know there was a lot of uh, bandits running around in the streets and stuff like that so I, I've definitely seen that side of it but I guess my default is to normally stay good and and because I assume that that's probably going to end better for me anyway <laughs> yeah and I, I I also in games that let you choose the the make the binary choices of of right and wrong good and evil i i tend to do the the good guy playthrough and, and this game was no different for me and i think series wide and especially again in this game it 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 ultimately exists as a very strange story if you do become the villain be- because they make mm. lord lucian fairfax or lucian 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 i think <laughs> they they make him so blatantly evil already you know he has like no redeeming qualities really I mean, well, I, I guess you could argue that he does, but I would argue that he really doesn't. And so it, it becomes a very strange story at the end if, if it's two supervillains going up to each other, mm-hmm. going up against each other. And I, I guess that's, you know, in one way, that's kind of interesting, but that's just not the way I typically play. Yeah. Um, so that that was the same here. And I, I did avoid quests when they were only going to merit me some like villainous rewards, things like that. Mm. What about the silent protagonist angle? That's actually something... I don't particularly like generally, and I always hear from people that say, oh, I like it because, and this is actually something Guardian Angel GG told me in, in uh, my message correspondence with him. He said he said he does enjoy that sort of thing because uh, it allows him to answer in his own words or, you know, in, in his head, essentially, mm-hmm. in his own voice, in his own words, and he doesn't get stuck up on the way his character answered for him and, and, if, and then having it be different than how he envisioned wanting to answer it and i hear a lot of people make that case and uh, i've i've never been one to feel that way i I generally like my characters to be voiced and even if it's a created character like commander shepherd from mass effect or something where Mm. they they let you make decisions and build your build your role out for yourself but they're still like completely voiced and i generally prefer that do you like the silent protagonist typically and and what about in fable I think it varies game to game, to be honest, and it really depends on how much investment the the development company can put into giving you plenty of options in how you respond if your character is going to be voiced, and particularly Mm. the personality, because, yeah, I tend to agree that sometimes silent protagonists, you feel a little bit too removed, and you don't feel like you're kind of, you can't necessarily project your character properly because it doesn't, because they literally don't have a voice. But on the other hand, you know, you you can see sometimes in, in games like Mass Effect that, that, you pick a response because you're looking at it from more of a like create your own hero 
RPG perspective and the response is just not what you expected it to be and then it comes out completely weirdly <laughs> yeah. because because it was the way it was voice acted and the way that the 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 game's dialogue kind of narrative wanted to push push the story and so that can sometimes be frustrating um i think in fable it was it was fine um i think that perhaps it might slightly um compound some of the issues with fable where sometimes it feels a little bit maybe too lightweight on the story or or the, the story is a little disconnected because because you're not invested in the character so much and perhaps fable 3 is the better middle ground for having some well a fair amount of voice acting for your character but but not so much as mass effect where you're constantly making dialogue choices every single time you interact with someone you know the the character has has a voice in some cutscenes, but you're still mostly molding your own reactions to people so i think fable 2 is kind of on the path to to something and i think fable 3 perhaps is the game that nailed it for me in terms of what fable needs to provide this in this middle ground between being a simulation game and a story driven game I, th- I think fable 3 is probably the better option just having the occasional spoken dialogue yeah that that actually makes it more jarring for me because <laughs> then you you it seems like games always have to do this joke too when you have a silent protagonist or or mostly or partly silent protagonist and you're speaking to an NPC, and then they always have to make the comment like, "Oh, you're a quiet one, aren't you?" It's like, okay, yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's not exactly my choice, so thanks. Uh, I, I I think Fable does that. Maybe maybe not all three of them. I I remember hearing that at one point, but I've just run the gamut of Fable, so I'm not sure when it was. <laughs> but I swear, I think I think every game with the sound protagonist thinks they have to do that at some point. It's like that actually makes it worse for me. I already don't like having a silent protagonist typically, and then when you essentially taunt me for the developer's role, the developer's choice of putting it that way, I, <laughs> it's just always kind of weird. Yeah, I suppose knowing you, though, like a lot of your gaming up until perhaps recently, you've, you've played a lot of story-driven, quite fairly linear games, and some of your favorite games are really sort of heavily scripted. So I suppose it's maybe a little bit more of a jump for you to get used to a silent protagonist in some games because you're not, I mean, I come from a background of mainly playing a lot of open world RPGs where there's no, there might not be any voice acting at all, or or certainly the the, the protagonist is silent. So I guess I can perhaps get into the headspace of creating my own voice in my head as I go a bit, maybe a little bit easier than you can. But I mean, that's not to say that I, I definitely think there are problems with silent protagonists. But it's interesting. I, I wonder whether your background with things like The Last of Us and Uncharted with these like really not not just voice acted but incredibly well voice acted um well scripted uh narrative experiences that that might color your perception of of jumping into a, a silent body and and trying to engage with the world around them yeah and and just thinking about it now actually i think i can trace my roots and feeling this way all the way back to like very early gaming in the 90s cuz i basically didn't play rpgs in the 90s uh hmm. you know i was i was I mean, we're about the same age. I was born in 89 and I spent the 90s playing, you know, Sonic, Madden, Mortal Kombat, Crash Bandicoot. And I kind of missed the Chrono Triggers and the Final Fantasies and things like that. So I think a lot of the people who don't mind the silent protagonists are probably coming from a period where that's all that's the only option they had. You know, my first RPG Mm -hmm. was probably Fallout 3 or something like that. Not, you know, just a decade or a little bit more than a decade ago. And that I mean, that one is a silent protagonist but 
everything i mean so much else surrounding that era of like 360 or even like ps2 xbox era like we were getting a lot more voice acting by then so it's just a bit uh it's just just a bit out of my wheelhouse i guess when when we still get these protagonists mm. that just take orders and, and never open their mouths and there's <laughs> yeah it's just a something about the the way that type of story is delivered i don't typically like um mm. and I'll, I'll bring that up again i think at the end we had I think we have some feedback on that as it relates to the potential for a new fable that we'll talk about later on. Uh, mm. And I, I think it'll be relevant for me as well there. As our first bit of feedback reference, this game experiences a few time jumps through your character's history. Uh, we see we get to see them age from uh, a child to like a young adult, and then I, I think even like a much older adult, if I remember correctly. I, I swear my the fable experience is just all mushed together for me just to some extent because i've played them all in quick succession here <laughs> but uh and then similarly fable one fable three you get to do those sorts of things as well oh well, maybe not fable three actually but fable one you certainly do are you in favor of that sort of thing the time jumps well yeah i mean i i'm always in favor of of someone taking a risk narratively and, and trying something new and, and particularly taking something narrative wise that you can really only do in a game and and running with it and that's that's i think what makes the fable kind of appealing to me as a concept is that they're always pushing the boundary of how you can really twist player expectations by by doing these kind of jumps or twisting and saying right like now you're i mean in fable three you know the the end of that where they kind of go right now you're the the uh the monarch and you have to kind of react completely differently and the gameplay changes a bit i think that's always been something that's that really is a is the calling card for fable even though it is also something that that people tend to get quite irritated about um i think the reactions to the time jumps in fable 2 are similar to the switch up of the protagonist in metal gear solid 2 another famous uh like gameplay specific sort of narrative twist where you're suddenly playing in a completely different situation and and a lot of people applaud it and a lot of people just absolutely hate having that control taken away from them particularly i guess in a rpg where you're used to sticking with a character and and gradually building up how they interact with the world um i think some people react badly to the idea that that they can have a lot of that control ripped away by the world moving forward so rapidly um but i think it's it's great in in the kind of ripple effect of it where you know if you've forgotten to do certain things in the game before you go off to the tower and you don't really well you don't you don't hugely get a warning that you're going to be gone you certainly don't get a warning that you're going to be gone for 10 years you get a warning that you might not be back for a while but you know if you're playing this completely without any knowledge of what fable 2 is like you know that to you might just mean oh okay that something might happen that is a choice that I can't change and then I'll just come back and, and, and carry on with the game. You're not necessarily going to expect that the entire world could be changed by what you did and didn't do before you left for the tower. Um, I think that's, it's very brave um, bit of design really. And, and quite a unique bit of design. There's not many other games I can think of. Um, Certainly not within a single game where there's a big time jump for the character. Um, And yeah, I think if you take the good path and you you do everything nicely and you keep your rents low and stuff like that, I think that maybe it's slightly less impactful and maybe feels a little strange that so much emphasis is put on the decade that you've missed when 
you know, if you come back and everything's mostly still fine because you did all the right things, then, then maybe it feels a little bit less impactful. But if you've gone off having not resolved a few things and you're corrupt and you're a bit evil, the the impact on the game when you come back it can be quite significant. And and that's cool. I think I think there's not, you know, we've talked about other, all of us have talked about games in the past where there's a lot of promises that your decisions will make a lot of uh make a lot of difference when you come back and and we've continually been disappointed that you know things like mass effect 3 a lot of people were disappointed mm, that, yeah. that the choices didn't make that much difference and yet here's this charming twee little game that's got this hugely impactful moment where the entire game world can be thrown to one side by the time you come back having not really appreciated just how much of an impact that moment would have so yeah i i, I think i'm in favor of it yeah i mostly agree with you uh... I, I guess I diverge slightly because while I do like the way the character ages, I, and and I admit that that what I'm about to say is kind of probably not possible when these games were originally made. Fable Two was originally <laughs> made, but I would have liked, uh, or you know, again for maybe some future Fable. I think it's even more compelling if because this game has so many sim-like qualities, and you know, you can get married, and you can like become like a landlord which is really strange for an rpg i think uh yeah <laughs> you know because you can kind of just like live your life and again guardian angel gg that I, i've got a bit of feedback from him i'll read later but to summarize it briefly he he's basically one of his favorite things about this series is that you know when the game's over you can just go and live your life and 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 that's true to some extent we'll get into that mm. in a moment but uh i think Along with the aging, I, I almost would have liked to see smaller time jumps. You know, like like leaving for a decade, just it seems uh, a bit too too much for me. And I understand that, you know, the, this game was made in 2008. The first one was like 2005 or six or something like that. Uh, and even the third one was like 2010. So they're all quite aged by now. And, and these things weren't possible then. But just peeking ahead to, to what could be someday with Fable, I'd, I'd love to see... I'll, you know maybe if it's if they're really ambitious I, i'd love like a full age progression for like your character's whole life and i think that's mm. that's one thing that they could definitely look at if this rumored sequel is happening but i yeah i understand that that couldn't happen in 2008 and so i guess at that point i just think you know maybe missing out on 10 years of your character's life is a bit too much to take away from the player uh but yeah, I mean, other than that, I, I I do like it in in theory, just not so much exactly as they practiced it. I think. Yeah, and that's fair enough. I mean, I I don't think they necessarily should have. That whole section is very strange when you're in the tower, and I think maybe, in some ways, it's a little bit too dark as well. You know, the the idea of not just that you're gone for ten years, but you're gone for ten years, sort of pretending to work for the bad guys and potentially like. <laughs> starving citizens and stuff it's just it's very it suddenly takes a very dark turn and then you come back and the whole world's changed it's it's it was ambitious and i appreciate the ambition but i can see that that maybe maybe it's even a tonal thing that it's just a little bit too too much of a of a big cut and and a, a dark moment that you come back and you've got to kind of readjust to the world slightly changed but then at the same time you're I guess I guess they 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 went that far, but then they didn't go as far as you know really aging your character or you know really you know 
having a decade's worth of imprisonment essentially having a having a significant impact on your character but then to be honest we're talking about a family friendly <laughs> chicken kicking game you know it's, it's it probably shouldn't <laughs> yeah. have gone that far in the first place so it's a weird one I, it, yeah. I can appreciate the ambition but maybe maybe this is really not even the right kind of game for it i don't know <laughs> yeah that's that's a good point well there's a lot i want to say about the tone uh, in a few minutes here but <laughs> yeah that that summarizes it pretty well actually is Oh, we'll save it anyways, but... (laughs) (laughs) Quiet! You're heroes, but you're not any of the three. One of you is the fourth. What's happening? This isn't what I wanted. But nothing must stand in my way. Yeah, and speaking kind of about the like the darker villainous side, we we don't actually see Lord Lucian very much after, you know, we get the dramatic opening where he makes himself known to be the villain, and then he's pretty much in the background for most of the rest of the game. And then and, and actually in that way that's kind of keeping with the other numbered fables as well. Maybe the third one we saw him the most cuz it was your own brother. Uh but on top of that, I found it's difficult to feel any of the game's emotionality outside of the humor because it's such a lighthearted world. And I mean, there's, you know, like we said, there are sinister aspects in play here. There's slaves and work camps and there's certainly enough homicide to go around. But I, I found it's hard to really care about the villain and the darker side of Albion in any way the game may want me to. <laughs> because uh, I feel with Fable 2, like I did with 1 and 3, that it's it's mostly a big silly world to explore and the central plot often feels quite secondary to me did did you feel that way no i I tend to agree i mean i've got quite a lot of history with western fantasy games western rpgs in general and i think that most of them have had this similar problem where they want a narrative so they need to establish a bad guy but at the same time the, the the key selling point of these kinds of open world rpgs um or at least sort of large world RPGs is is you've got the freedom to go and do what you want. So it's almost necessary to take the villain out of the picture during the majority of the gameplay because you can't be pressuring the player too much to go and chase them. So almost like if the villain was too oppressive and too dramatic and severe and in your face, you, you would feel compelled to go and deal with him. And then yeah. you're not necessarily leading yourself off onto all the side quests during the actual kind of progression through the the main story so games like fallout i would say tend to have similar problems with their villains and the darker side and certainly um the elder scrolls uh, is kind of notoriously has fairly weird um central storylines where you've got this ridiculous world destroying <laughs> yeah <laughs> epoch ending villain but Go ahead and just mess around for for decades. That's fine. Uh, you can get back to it later. So. I'll be yeah. I'll be here when you get when you get there. Like yeah yeah exactly. Don't worry. We'll just hang out at, at at the end so you can just whack us three times with a stick and then that'll be over. But we'll get we'll get onto the endings later. But yeah yeah <laughs> yeah that's true. I, you know I hadn't thought about it like that. That that's that's a good counterpoint. It, in removing the villain that way, you, you do kind of maintain the. You, you, well, I guess you prevent more 
ludonarrative narrative dissonance that the way other games have it like yeah rpgs especially the bethesda ones you mentioned th- those are certainly notorious for it and you know nowadays some, some games do it much better i think uh but they all sort of have that problem because an rpg is supposed to come with numerous side quests so you you have to yeah kind of build all that in there and then the pacing makes no sense you know kevin's written about this before that video game stories in their pacing it it they mm. you know they're at a great disadvantage because it's not the type of story we're wanting to tell so if it's not going to be a directly linear game then it's not really going to be a sensible story because if someone if you know someone's committing mass genocide on some realm and you are the chosen one to stop them but you're collecting cheese wheels instead there's you know that it doesn't make much sense but uh yes yeah, so i guess in that way fable's good right yeah, I think I think that not making sense is the charm, and I think that most fans of of Fable and of other similar series will always say, "Yeah, but that's it's funny, and we like that it's funny. It's funny that you know we're doing these ridiculous things when we should be doing something far more important. That's <laughs> that's part of the humor. So I guess that's yeah. why that that's why there's always a lot of humor to be found in these games, and I think that developers tend to poke fun at the whole thing themselves as well because there is there is that first hurdle that first conceit to get over of you really should be concentrating on the the problem at hand but you're never going to in a game like this yeah yeah and actually that's my you bring up a nice segue to my next point which is the game's humor d i you know i've I've already made it clear that i do enjoy this game very much and really the whole series and largely that's because of the tone and that's because of the humor and i just feel like it's it's so light and it's so different than so many other rpgs and i know that the depth of the overall experience isn't nearly uh, quite as deep as as a lot of its genre counterparts, but I tend to seem like I overlook and forgive a lot of its faults. Like I don't think the combat is very compelling, for example. But I, I overlook a lot of its other problems just because when I'm in the world of a fable game, it feels so different from every other RPG I've ever played, and it's often hilarious. And if it's not hilarious, it's just sort of charming and and silly and smirky and it it's self-aware and i'm I'm hoping you agree you, you, you seem to maybe have already hinted that you agree you, you find these games funny i hope or is it just me i mean it's certainly not just me but is it not you <laughs> well i mean i think because i know that we we were talking before when i when we first sort of put fable um out there as a potential option for playlists and i, I talked about the fact that i found i find it a bit too british kind of twee the whole yeah humor of it and i guess I have to stress that a lot of British people do very much like this game and that kind of humor. Like a lot of people like the the kind of just kind of kind of silly, um, not very deep <laughs> kind of slapstick pantomime humor. Um, but for me, it, it tends to grate perhaps because I grew up with a lot of it. Um, maybe I'm, <laughs> I'm just a little wow. bit more sick of it than other people. You know, I I kind of um, grew up on one side you know watching pantomimes at christmas um and on the other side playing sort of early rare games and things like that you know i've maybe Mm -hmm. maybe i've had my fill of kind of basic puns and silly names and sort of (laughs) uh, yeah again slapsticky pantomimey kind of kind of humor it's it's maybe not deep enough for me and and particularly being a huge fan of 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 series like um Terry Pratchett's Discworld, um, which don't get me wrong, has lots of daft humor, but there's always an undercurrent <laughs> of of a lot more complex humor as well, and a lot more satire um, and uh, commentary going on underneath. That I don't know, maybe this humor is just I 
maybe I've just become too cynical a person to appreciate the kind of very straight <laughs> humor of a game like Fable. Um, but but I can certainly appreciate that if I take a step back from how I feel about that kind of humor and look at the kind of games that are on offer for people, particularly on Xbox, I can definitely appreciate that Fable is is offering a kind of humor that no one else is really offering. And yeah. so I can always appreciate when you know game comedy and gaming is is tends to be overlooked i think and i can always appreciate when a game really kind of finds its comic voice and comic timing and and goes with it and and the fact that we've seen in the forums that so many people have have appreciated that humor i I really can't fault it for that even if it's not my cup of tea yeah I, i i definitely agree you know in on a grander scale, I prefer my comedy to be more subversive and mm. to, to have something to say about things. And, and Fable is, is very surface viral. It's just silly. It's, but you know, it, it's in, it's in keeping with the rest of the game. I think it's, mm. it's not exactly childish cause there's still like violence and you know, you can like get married and divorce and, and have threesomes and things like that. And so <laughs> it's, it's not exactly for kids, but it's, it's all very light and mm. it's, you know, and it's just very charming and, like you said, it I can't really find it anywhere else in the sphere of, of video games, like from its era or really from today. Like I don't know, it kinda just stands alone in that way for me. And every every time I'm in one of these games, as like I said, I have been often over the past half year, uh I always enjoy my time there. Even I I'd pretty much wrapped up my playtime with this game. And then Guardian, again, I'm going to mention him again because he's the world's biggest Fable fan. And <laughs> But uh, <laughs> Guardian Angel GG, no, really, he was, he was an MVP. He actually helped me here, too. He uh, he set up several sessions over the course of the month uh, to help people get a few really hard-to-obtain achievements. And I joined his last session, I think it was just last weekend. Or maybe it wasn't his last one. Maybe he's still doing them. He's been going wild with those. But he... You know, I was pretty much done with this game. I wasn't really looking forward to get getting back into it. I, I thought I'd kind of wiped that slate and I had moved on to review Sea of Thieves and I was playing a lot of that. And But when I booted the game up and I went back to that world, I was it was so comfortable for me. I was like, oh, yeah, I, I guess I, I do still love this, you know, and I, I, I don't know. I just think I'll always appreciate that. I, I also remember uh, it was probably my second session when the month started, you know, so I was real, really early into the game. I just arrived at Bowerstone Market. I'd actually just turned the game on and just just a moment after I had uh, I had loaded up my save, I was just walking around the market and doing the blacksmithing and things like that. And the town crier announced it is now officially bedtime. And I just started dying. <laughs> uh, just something about, you know, bedtime is it's it's for children and just for a town crier to be, <laughs> to be telling the whole village that bedtime is upon us. Like I just it's goofy it's light it's you know there's there's it's surface level but it's no other game really wants to do that i mean if there are other games that want to do that i would love for people to tell me which ones those are especially if they're modern (laughs) games i i find retro gaming hard to get into but if there's any now that are being made like this i'd I'd love to be pointed in their direction but as far as i can see fable sort of stands alone in that way and i love it for that yeah just on the point of that particular it's now officially bedtime line i think the main reason that that I don't find that funny anymore is because I went for the blacksmith get uh, went for the job achievement at the blacksmith of our stone market so I spent a good uh hour two hours maybe cumulatively overall um bashing swords with that guy standing right outside saying it's now officially bedtime every 10 minutes so 
that that <laughs> wore off pretty quick yeah. for me so yeah that's that's my own fault really yeah those those jobs to get the achievement to like reach level five is that the one you're talking about yeah that's the one yeah yeah Yeah, that took i got to level four and then it told me how many more coins or whatever i needed to get to five i was like, ah, no i'm not gonna do that <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah on the topic of humor we have uh a bit from mental night five here from the forums this was actually part of a longer piece of feedback but i wanted to pull this part out for for this moment in particular while we're on the subject uh they said i appreciate most of the humor and light-hearted silly nature quite a bit and yet i am still seriously invested in the drama it's a fine mix and they managed to hit the different beats just right see the intro cinematic which we didn't discuss but anyone who sat there should will probably remember it mm. i was uh really amused by the arrest warrants in the beginning especially the offender charged with Assault with a weapon we can't believe could possibly be deadly, but unfortunately was. And then they added, come on, that's funny. I admit you that that sounds like it speaks more to maybe this the type of jokes that you're uh, you've had your fill of. But I, I like that one a lot, too. Yeah. And, and to be completely fair, like if if you like specifically that kind of stuff where with the with the charge sheet, with those those um, those quotes on please read Terry Pratchett, give it a go, like, because it, that's that's where he starts from. And then it, it just has an extra couple of layers of, of stuff behind it. But yeah, if you if you like that humor and you like the kind of world that, that Fable's set in, like, I really would, would honestly recommend that. And I'm still waiting bitterly for someone to make a Discworld open world game, but, but that's for another day. <laughs> Yeah, with we should move on to uh, what I think are the often strange gameplay mechanics in Fable 2. I think the combat is aged, but in its context of being a 10-year-old game, I imagine it felt you know fine or better at the time. In, in fact, lots of reviews I read uh, as research for this show in this month even praised it for its combat at the time. <laughs> uh, I have to admit, I took advantage of an exploit in this game that let me max out my character stats right when the skill tree became available, just like a few minutes in. For me, Fables enjoyed not at all because of the combat, and sometimes even in spite of it. So I used a guide on TA that I think it was Hawkeye Barry pointed us in the direction of early on in the forums. He said, hey, look over here if, if you want to uh, sort of shortcut the, the challenge of this game. So I was like, oh yeah, I'm that person. So I, I did that. <laughs> I used the guide. Uh, and basically my character is overpowered for the entire game and just hacked and slashed quite easily through everybody. Although I guess towards the end I did die a lot, but that's because I wasn't at all being strategic, you know? I was just sort of hacking and slashing. I had so much XP to spare that I didn't care if I died and lost 20,000. I just jumped right back in, like 
I played a female hero, she was amazingly overpowered. So it was it was really no challenge there, but that's that's how I wanted to play it at least. Um starting on combat, how how did you like it? So again, this kind of relates to a lot of my history of playing Western fantasy RPGs uh, and RPGs in general again because there's always been a bit of backlash against combat and some people saying oh, it's it's fine it's not it's not the point and and a lot of people saying yeah but it could be could be better it could be more finessed i mean even right up till now with people it, the witcher 3 which is a much more advanced combat system but there's still a lot of people saying you know it's it's not ideal there's a lot of problems with it um, and other people saying yeah but that's not necessarily all that we're here for and i think fable 2 in particular having just played a little bit of fable anniversary i think the real achievement of the combat is that they they stripped out some of the unnecessary mangling of your hands on the controller for a game where clearly the, the tone that they went for they they weren't looking for a deep combat experience they were looking for combat to be a means to progress i think and to give you something to do sort of on the way between places and and there are a couple of interesting boss battles but ultimately it's it's just a way to I think it's a very simple way to feel like a hero, a hero with a sword, a hero with a gun. Yeah. It's not really there to be a deep and satisfying and meaningful um, fight. I mean, that's why, you know, when you die, you just get back up. You, you lose a, a paltry amount of XP that you very quickly gain back. And there's not really any other consequence for dying. So immediately, you know, as soon as you realize that's happening, you kind of think, well, yeah, they're not going to, why would they invest in a, in a, really complicated technical combat experience if you don't even get the satisfaction of knowing you you made it through without dying because dying has no consequence really um so <laughs> i guess i guess the main thing i appreciated about it is that they they really simplified it, it the, the the i mean the gunplay is a little bit frustrating so sort of, particularly if you try and use manual focus but again you, you don't really have to so it's kind of there as a bit of a throwaway mechanic and maybe it's not as developed as it could have been but but it doesn't it doesn't detract from the core experience of just that bit going on a simple adventure and feeling like a hero, which I think certainly based on the feedback that we've had is what most people came to that game wanting to do is just just feel like a hero in a town and and uh, you know in a world and and have people reacting to it. They, they weren't there for a deep combat experience. Yeah, that's that was exactly my point. Is I didn't mind short. You know, the, typically I'm not the one to. F- exploit those types of shortcuts like fable 2 offers but in this specific instance especially having just played the other two fables within a few weeks or months i was ready to just soak in the tone and, and the humor and the, just the lightheartedness of, of the whole world and i didn't mind uh taking the elevator up <laughs> to, to the <laughs> the top top uh floor of being pretty powerful at the combat you know I was, I was nobody could really stop me especially early on it was it was actually kind of laughable and then towards the end some of the characters do put up a bit of a fight and like i said even when you die there's you know there's minimal uh penalty and then it just kind of it actually helped me enjoy the game better although i must also say i have it might be because i fast-tracked myself like that but i i didn't understand how the magic menu worked when you'd open up those five oh yeah yeah did you i mean i i i feel like i'm well i think i'm not alone but i think we're certainly in the vast minority of people probably um i mean i understood it but it was poorly implemented in terms of 
the actual way that it controlled i found i was constantly uh, accidentally remapping what the five levels did while i was trying to do other stuff so i think i'm pretty sure i may be wrong on this but i'm pretty sure that the menu for changing which which spells were active at different levels was mapped to the right trigger which was also your pulling in xp orbs mm-hmm. uh, yeah, button as well so what kept happening to me is that while i was pulling in xp orbs during a fight and also trying to fight the remaining enemies i was also accidentally remapping my entire list of of spells um so particularly when again when i was going for some achievements um in the dlc in the there's an achievement in the coliseum for getting a a ridiculous amount of points and it's quite crucial that you're you're managing your spell tree quite carefully to in order to have enough time to do everything but what i kept what i kept finding was that as i was fighting i would go to do what i thought was the third level spell say and find that oh wait every single one of them's mapped back to just being a lightning spell or something like that so i don't think that i think a that menu wasn't very well explained but b it also wasn't very well implemented on the controller and i think that that in a game where that mattered more that would have been a problem but i suppose going back to my original point you can get away with not really understanding it and still play the game (laughs) yeah you can still even kind of envision yourself as this powerful mage because even the basic fireball spell looks cool and if you spam it enough you'll kill someone you know so (laughs) so it's almost like you can kind of put that to one side a bit because you almost don't really need it to enjoy the game yeah and uh, yeah i certainly do enjoy the the magic elements of your character's abilities even if i didn't always understand how to use them exactly as i wanted to (laughs) i just kind of just fidgeting around with them and you know certain things were better for certain enemies and i couldn't always figure out how to even use those correct things but given that my character was so powerful and everything was like level five or four or whatever the highest level it was for each respective mm. power uh it ultimately didn't matter too much for me but it, i could see that would have been a, a bit more frustrating but like you said uh still ultimately not that big of a deal because it's not the main course here and it's still pretty easy regardless. Uh, we had some comments from ex Povos in the forums regarding the combat. They said, Fable's combat is not particularly strong, and Fable 2's may actually be the low point of, this, of the series in that sense, but there are reasons to enjoy it as well. It's impressively approachable. Which I disagree with, I guess. <laughs> but my my wife watched me play Fable 2 for a bit and wanted to have a go herself because she intuited the controls and they weren't too complex for her as a non-regular gamer. When we played together, I still did better in combat because my practice with dodging, blocking, and chain attacks was greater than hers, but she wasn't a liability the way a less skilled gamer would have been in a different game, so I don't mind Fable's less intense combat. After all, every game's combat is button-mashy to some extent. It's really just a question of timing. When do I mash this button? Removing elements of pattern memorization or requirements for alacrity and accuracy don't inherently detract from a game. Fable 2 succeeds more for the environment than the combat. Of course, f- to that last point, I would completely agree. <laughs> yeah, and and interestingly as well, Fable, well, it was actually Fable 3, but that's one of the few Xbox games I've, I've managed to get my wife to play. I mean, she is she's a gamer, but she mainly plays uh, things like Pokemon, Pokemon where right. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's a little more... Um, well not simplistic but you you have more time to react to things and obviously it's it's um turn-based and things like that so normally she would 
not really like the idea of me passing the controller over to her if I was playing like The Witcher or, or something like that. But Fable, a it's it's charming to look at and charming to 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 be a sort of passive observer. Um, so she was a bit more enthusiastic about it. But B, yeah, when you get into it, it is it is button mashing really can can get you out of most fixes. And and like I said earlier, the fact that when you die, you don't even really die; you just fall over and get back up again so you know it's it definitely makes it more accessible to to a wider audience and that was almost certainly something that Lionhead had in mind I think when they were designing it yeah I was actually pleased to see that after the first few times when I had finally started to lose in combat a bit I thought you know those first couple knockouts or knockdowns were preliminary to the ultimate like game over screen that would come if I had failed like x number more times Mm. and uh and then that just never came so by the end I was like oh okay so this is really the only penalties and i actually quite enjoyed that the the more that a game can you know forgive you when it's when it's offering like the portion of itself that you're not too into you know so you can get back to the good stuff that i the, the happier i am basically you know so for fable it's the case that when the combat can sort of just get out of your way by whatever means in my case i over leveled too early to help myself even further like i said uh but ultimately it, it leads to actually a better experience for me just having that out of uh having that not be an obstacle basically and just i can get back to the good stuff so i always appreciate that (laughs) yeah although i i should mention maybe i should channel kevin a bit here um because i'm sure he would say something along the lines of he would hate it well if you're going to include it you should probably make it work yeah oh yeah you know there's a there's an argument to say like you know yeah, we're, we're happy that it's something that you could easily just kind of overlook and get past. But I suppose there is an argument that, well, you know, why is it there in the first place, I suppose? Yeah, yeah. I guess in this game, it's a matter of timing and pacing. You know, it's it, you've got to have something to do um, in order to, again, like I said earlier, feel like a hero. Um, but I suppose Fable's trying to balance having combat there to feel heroic and feel powerful with not taxing the player too much, particularly if you've got people you aren't so used to to playing games like this potentially getting involved yeah that was a it's actually a fantastic kevin impression you just did (laughs) (laughs) uh so let's talk about the emotes because this is something that makes fable unique uh i can't think of another game certainly not another game like fable like an rpg like this that just has you emoting with npcs i know now emotes are big on multiplayer when you get to Mm. like humiliate someone after you've destroyed them in a shooter or something but for a single well mostly single player rpg like fable this this wheel of emotes always struck me as so odd and again it kind of (laughs) lends itself to the charm of it but i also think it's very strangely implemented like in the way that you know in in the world of albion falling in love means you dance in front of them for five minutes and then (laughs) and then you get married immediately like i understand i don't know you take it from here because i (laughs) it's so strange to me (laughs) well i think this this really comes back to the the molyneux effect i think with this particular game because i suspect that what i suspect is that behind the scenes you had someone and not necessarily just molyneux but other creative directions directors in there as well saying things like i want people to be able to emotionally interact with everyone in the game and i want that to lead to them being able to marry people i want them to be able to offend people um make them laugh you know i I want there to be daft humor i want there to be people farting i want people to to (laughs) be pointing and laughing and you take all of those features and you give it to someone who goes right but 
you know, if I'm working with an Xbox 360 and, and we're, yeah, yeah. You know, we're talking about the beginning of that generation. So people hadn't necessarily unlocked all the potential of the console and to take all of those thoughts and try and try and make them work in a, in a user interface for starters. And, and then to actually translate that in the game as a consequence, it must've been quite a big ordeal. And, and I can see how you ended up with this strange situation where you went, okay, I've been told I need to put all of these different emotions in and I need to <laughs> kind of make it so that people will fall in love and get married and stuff like that. The, 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 the only way I can, I personally can see it working is if you do have this kind of bar where you've got positive to negative feelings. And if you do a positive action enough times, the, the, the plus marker will go up on that person and eventually they'll fall in love with you. And, <laughs> and yeah, when you look at it, sort of out of that context it's extremely strange that you can just kind of you know if someone likes farting you can just fart at them until they want to marry you you know that's yeah it's a very strange thing to to consider but then when you put that in the context of albion and fable itself it almost makes sense you can almost imagine that yeah. if you you know if you had a tv series based on the world of albion and it had the same tone and humor that you might come across a story where someone just could could not get enough of someone else's farts and they ended up marrying them. You know, it almost it almost kind of works as a as a narrative twist in this strange little silly world that that they built around Fable. But I think um again we'll probably touch on this later when we talk about a potential sequel for Fable. I I, I think that it's charming of its time because because trying to wrangle that many features into a working game um, you can kind of forgive it for some of the, the weirdness that, that came out of a system like that, much as people forgave um, the Elder Scrolls Oblivion, for example, for having similar um, sort of uh, conversation trees and persuasion skills that just seem to work in really odd ways. You could you could make someone fall, not fall in love with you, but, but think you're the best person in the world just by repeating the same compliment to them like four times <laughs> yeah, over just, or whatever. So yeah, it's just flexing it's a, dancing. Yeah, exactly. It's a... <laughs> it's a creature of its time and it's charming for that. But I think, I don't think a new fable could necessarily get away with quite such a bizarre and extremely binary kind of system. I think, I think, I think it might, we might demand a little bit more uh, flexibility in that and a bit more subtlety maybe, but, but maybe not, who knows? Yeah. I, I, I was thinking about that too, in, in relation to the potential new one in X number of years in the future, whenever it might be, they're saying maybe 2019, 2020, something like that. Oh, no, not 2019. That's too early, but maybe 2020 or some somewhere after that. Uh, I I just wonder if it's if it's so attached to why uh, like its fans love the series that if if they would need to bring it back, even though it does seem so goofy and I mean it's it it feels archaic, but I feel like even at the time it it, it might have been it it probably was quite strange to just. <laughs> mm. I think one way they could have improved it is, you know, sure, if, if if this person really likes your dance moves, then dance in front of them and you'll improve your relationship a little bit with them. But it's it makes it especially weird that you can, you know, if you have the right emotes or the right gifts or something like that, you could pretty much settle things right then and there with them. You know, like I, I wasn't really exaggerating when I said dancing in front of someone for five minutes means they've fallen in love with you because you could do it that way if if you... Mm if you got the timing down of the emotes, like certain emotes you can hold down and, and time it properly for like a, like a bonus uh, to your relationship with that person. It, and 
I agree that it, it it's part of the game's charm and it, and even in context it, it makes more sense and it's certainly more forgivable forgivable but it it still just remains so strange to me that that this sort of system exists it, it definitely feels underdeveloped uh but then you know they put in all three games pretty much in in the same in the same way you know they didn't really build on it for for two or three after one i mean other than like the ui of it but essentially it works the same way the whole time and mm. It, yeah it's goofy and it's it's part of the fun i i remember i uh i forget which character's funeral it was but i was at a character's funeral as part of the story and i was doing the dance emote and uh, i uploaded this clip to the forums actually guardian angel found it and, and loved it but uh i was just i was just dancing at someone's funeral you know being totally uh disrespectful and it was actually kind of cool in that moment to have these story npcs respond to me you know they were they were hushing me and, and trying to get me to quit it they're like stop it that's that's so rude and i was like <laughs> it was i didn't expect that in the moment you know but so i guess in that way it's it's a bit deeper than than i would have thought but just overall it, it's it's certainly part of what makes the games unique and like i said charming for sure but i think it would have been a, a little bit better if it was just a, t- a tiny bit more realistic you know like if you're gonna just dance at someone until they fall in love with you don't do it all in one afternoon you know like make make me have to come back <laughs> over several days and and show them my, maybe new dance moves or <laughs> you know old favorites or something or uh, just, it's just it's just so strange that i can do it in, in one sitting you know in the in the <laughs> in the time it takes for like a day night cycle to not even go halfway you could have fallen in love with someone i do think that's that's both it is a product of its time but it's also a product of of yeah i think trying to cram so many features in at once that that certain corners have to be cut and i think one of them is probably that you just have the one dance move and it works at any time of day with with anyone because <laughs> there's there's so many people wandering around that trying to implement a system where people react differently beyond just a few key markers in their personality probably would have been would have been a little bit too much within every lifetime there are moments of greatness even perfection some solitary but others shared On a sunny morning, under a clear sky, the villagers crowded together to witness two people stand and declare their love for each other. Some say they were a strange couple, others that they saw a story of true love. Only time would tell. What about uh, the property ownership and the the family building aspects of it? Did Did you get into that at all? So this time around, when I was playing the game, I was quite heavily invested in the property ownership and and. Not so much the family building, more just the property side of things, I guess, because I was after the um, purity and corruption achievement and a couple of other things that were, I think I needed the achievement for getting lots of gold as well. So (laughs) I was um, dropping and raising rents all over the place and seeing the reactions to that. So um, that, again, that's another odd, (laughs) I I guess, odd but charming (laughs) feature that's that's implemented because it's kind of it's kind of cool that you go around and and basically become everyone's landlord if you want to but at the same time you just kind of you just kind of go up to their door and and just drop a a bombshell on them of of putting their rent up by 500 percent or whatever you can do and and (laughs) yeah and that's it really you know there's no there's no further interaction beyond that but again i suppose that's an example of of 
throwing all the features at the wall and just putting a very simple implementation of them in. So I, I guess if you're heavily into role playing, then you can add a layer on top of that of you know people talking about you on your back and and you know everything getting a bit sinister and you you coming across as this uh, corrupt money grabbing kind of guy. Um, <laughs> So I think that's probably true as well of a lot of the family building, because again, once you've got married to someone, you know, you can pop out a kid, pop out a bunch of kids or, and it's kind of, it doesn't necessarily amount to a hell of a lot, but I think a lot of our forum posters and certainly guardian angel GG (laughs) is able to add on top of that, a layer of role-playing that he's kind of bringing himself to the game. So where the game's giving very simple tools that if you just engage them directly without necessarily role-playing on top of that, it might seem a little too simplistic and maybe even a little weird the way that you interact with your family. Like if you're able to bring a almost like a Dungeons and Dragons mindset to the game and, and come in and be willing to kind of bring elements from your own internal character sheet to the to the experience, maybe that kind of makes some of those things okay because you can add add layers of, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm gonna, you know, pick this option because that's that's how my character is. Um, I don't know. I think I think that fable, the fables, uh, simulation parts of the game are are kind of designed as like really simple tools to just increase the amount of role playing you can do, sort of in your own mind, maybe a, a bit a bit more than say something like The Sims, where <laughs> yeah, you're really micromanaging managing every single aspect of 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 a person's life and you yourself aren't the character you're you're the director you're the you're the sort of all-seeing uh god i suppose um it's kind of overseeing these these sims lives so i guess it's it's a little different here that that it's still an rpg on top of that so i I guess that makes it a very unique and strange experience yeah unique is is certainly how I'd put it. Again, I mean, I know you can, like in Skyrim and maybe even previous Elder Scrolls, that was my first one from the series, but at least in Skyrim you can own property and you can get married and things like that. But, uh, well, first of all, I guess Fable did it first, unless, well, wait, let me, actually, no, that might not be true. Is that true? Um, I think there's always been RPGs that have got an element of that, but I think Fable... Mm. I don't know. Fable is just the first way to do it like Fable does, you know, and I think <laughs> yeah. that's, that's the way, that's why they're so unique and they stand out. And there's a whole bunch of people that will always go, I don't understand why anyone likes Fable games and a whole bunch of people that absolutely adore them is because it's not that they're necessarily doing any one thing new, but they're trying to mash so many different things together in really quite strange ways that it makes it either charming or frustrating. So, so yeah, it's uh it's it's a lot of fun to engage with even when it's just bizarre yeah i i didn't uh in all three of them i didn't engage with those elements too often i mean i i tested the waters each time and i think in fable one particularly i did a lot more property ownership and renting and renovating and gentrification and things like that but (laughs) i uh i've got a weird relationship with these elements of the games the family building and, and the property and just the for for many people i think it's like post game sort of sim living stuff you, i mean you can do it throughout the game as well if you'd like to take it slowly but i think a lot of people play mm-hmm. through it and then if they really love the world they'll exist in it for as long as they want to doing these sorts of things and though i i didn't treat it that way i always appreciate that it's there and again for the hundredth time i'm going to use the word charming i think it, it's 
it all it all plays into it and and you're right it's fable it's its own unique beast and <laughs> it's yeah i'm just i'm happy it exists in the form it does even when things mm. aren't implemented so deeply and or even when you're not even sure where the idea came from or you can see that it came from molly news words and then the developer scrambled to make something sort of look like it and <laughs> i don't know just everything for me it always it always funnels back to yeah, but it's Fable, and it, and it's cute and goofy, and I still love it anyways. Like, it, it's got such a strange relationship that's developed with this series and, and this game over the past <laughs> few months. Uh, and yeah, to your point, Guardian Angel is uh, a huge fan of the simulation aspects of it. I've got... This one's not particularly from the forums. This was actually from my correspondence with him in private message. I essentially reached out, and I said, hey, we're going to record the podcast in a few days and you know because you're the world i mean he's not just the world's biggest fable fan i like i don't know too many people that love anything as much as he loves fable and it it, (laughs) it's really remarkable like hopefully i i imagine he's going to listen to this but uh and hopefully he understands that i'm not i'm not picking on him or anything like i i think it's you know it's it's admirable and in some ways it's envious i mean i get obsessed with certain things too and and i i consume them in that way but yeah uh I almost kind of want Fable to be that for me, and it, it's it's not particularly that way for me, but it is for him. And I got a uh, an editorial length response for him when I asked the question, you know, why Fable? And I said, be as long as you want, be as brief as you want. <laughs> so he was quite long, and he went into great detail. I I can't, I certainly can't read it all here. Uh, <laughs> if he wants me to, or if he wants to, we could we could post it just to the forums after this episode. But for now, I did take out one particular part that that I really liked because this seemed like someone living their fable life to the fullest and is really interesting. So in response to why fable, in part, he said, in the fable games, even once you have completed the main story quest and all the side quests, you can still basically live in the world of Albion. I had one save of fable two where I would sometimes log on and just take my wife on dates, go to furniture stores and buy five star furniture to upgrade all of the homes in the towns just relax in the pubs, performing expressions and playing the lute for the villagers and all of that sort of thing. If you've completed the game but want to go fighting or adventuring, then some side quests will still pop up to free slaves or capture villagers as slaves. There are bounty hunting jobs that still pop up and things like that. Your actions in the game continue to affect people's opinion of you and even the town's economies. And I, like I said, I couldn't read everything here, but Essentially, his whole text, he praised the characters, he praised the sandbox of it, the main storyline, the, the side quest. There, there's really no aspect of Fable that uh, that he finds lacking, it seems. And like I said, that's I'm not exactly envious of that because I, I too, love things in the, uh, to a great extent as he loves Fable. It's just Fable for me, like... I appreciate Fable so much, but I don't love it to that level that it's actually fun to live vicariously through him in his words when he speaks of it so highly like that and talks about, you know, just logging onto Fable to just go on a date with his wife. Like that's, <laughs> it's, a, it's such an interesting thing. And, you know, people can do that in The Sims, but that's really all you can do in The Sims. Fable is, is a fantasy RPG that invites you to like stay a while after. And I, th- I just think it's so strange but in a good way yeah and i think um it's interesting you're saying about the sims because i think ultimately that game feels a little mechanical sometimes but as as i've said a few times because here you're the hero and you get to it's almost like you're in a hero simulation rather than a hero rpg it's it's 
you're you're in a, you're, you're simulating the experience of not just being a hero on their quest but also a hero going back to their wife or a hero walking into town and finding that there's just people all over the place rushing over to say hi and in love with you and can i can i have an autograph and it's 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 almost like a second life kind of thing where you get to you get to really deep dive into the role of being a hero and i certainly i i don't feel like the same way in in terms of fable as as guardian angel gd does but i've had games like that and i totally see where he's coming from i mean i had a phase with oblivion elder scrolls oblivion where hmm. i i played that for you know 90 100 hours over and over trying things in different ways and 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 picking up every single bit of junk and and mm-hmm. going into every single cave and just wanting to kind of exist in that world for as long as possible and so it's always fantastic to hear people getting that involved in a game like this even if it's it's not not the kind of game that i would do that in um i can definitely sympathize with <laughs> mm-hmm. maybe not sympathize i can empathize with harry feels about this game mm-hmm. i've definitely had those phases in my life yeah and, and then uh more to the family building aspect of it specifically we had a, a really funny story told by mentok from the forums i hadn't, I hadn't seen this gamer tag yet so welcome mentok uh they basically recounted their story of how hard they tried to get divorced and f- <laughs> to their amazement how it didn't work <laughs> So uh, they started as a, and it's sort of told in bullet points, so bear with me here if it's kind of fragmented. They started as a female hero, they, they married Craig in the gypsy camp, then they married Ball in the gypsy camp, who lives next door to Craig, which usually causes issues in the game from what Guardian Angels told me. Uh, he had a baby with Craig, he had a threesome in his marital bed with neither husband, so two other men are now involved. <laughs> <laughs> he left those two men and again neither husband to raise his child while he left for revenge he ignored the blackmail letter saying they would expose my husbands to each other since he says i figured they had already met each other <laughs> <laughs> he left for the spire so 10 years had passed uh now he says my child is a toddler running around the gypsy camp i assume since the only time i stopped by there was while exploring and questing so he's neglecting his his family and his his offspring uh it says i get my revenge and save my family and in parentheses i save my dog really that was seemingly uh, the driving point there (laughs) uh now i get a note that my child is grown and adventuring and needs my help i ignore this too because i'm too busy in fairfax exploring the tomb under my new castle looking for the one use sex change potion Maybe this will make them divorce me. And then in all caps, nope. <laughs> I I married Mary in Fairfax and consummated in my new castle. I then traveled to Bloodstone and married Jenny, consummating another 25 times or so. <laughs> I, I leave my new bride and child for Bowerstone, where I have two more quests waiting. Sometime during the adventures in Knothole Island, I received a letter from Craig that our son had died in the Hob Cave. Then, during my time in the Cursed Skull, I receive another message stating my fourth spouse... <laughs> fourth spouse? Oh, wow. <laughs> stating my fourth spouse, Jenny, had died and my son was put into foster care. <laughs> All of this with a halo flying above my head because he had reached full purity. <laughs> said, personally, if my spouse ever treated me like this, I would hope I have some backbone. I mean, come on, <laughs> Craig and Ball. Have some self-respect. Uh, but then... 
finalizes. But that one thing aside, I found the game awesome. And I knew it would since I played Fable 3 a few years back and had a great time role-playing it in roles in all caps. So, yeah, that's that's quite the adventure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wonder why it, it's almost like the game was was experiencing some sort of bug for, for them not to divorce you to that after that great length you went to, you know? Like, it shouldn't be that hard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, if you've got that many char- that many NPCs sort of literally colliding with each other all the time i think you're always <laughs> going to throw out some weird bugs like that it's it, again not to keep bringing it up but it's something that the elder scrolls has always had a problem with as well is that no one's ever gonna in a game like this no one's ever going to interact in exactly the right way all the time because there's just there's yeah. just so much chaos going on and and particularly if you go out of your way to to do something like this <laughs> and, and really test the limits of it you're, you're always going to find a an interesting bug or yeah. mission at the end of it where it's 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 just going to fall over as a concept you know but it's still kind of i don't know because you're because he is role playing it's it's just kind of amusing you just kind of you try and invent in the fiction reasons why <laughs> this might still be happening yeah. you know maybe maybe there's just a very free loving gypsy camp you know, where everyone's just okay with this kind yeah. of thing polyamorous crew yeah that was uh <laughs> yeah you can't exactly bug test for for that scenario that that's that's a special one. <laughs> um, we should talk about the final boss, if if you can call it that. I'd read a few jokes early in the month from forum posters kind of rolling their eyes at that showdown. And uh, I've got to say, I, I see where they're coming from at the end. There's, you know, I think games train us to expect a big battle and then we don't really get it in this case. Was was that okay with you or were you expecting a showdown that never came? I have low expectations for fantasy rpgs in terms of their final boss i think this is kind of bookends the discussion we were having earlier on about about villains that kind of disappear at the beginning of the game and then come back at the end i think i off the top of my head i can't think of any of the fantasy rpgs that i've actually enjoyed you know the the majority of the experience i can't think of a single one where i thought much of the of the ending because i don't know the, the combat tends to always be so limited and and needs to suddenly adapt from being this open world you can interact with anything experience to like now you need to focus on the the final bad guy that it tends to kind of fall flat and they have to they have to circumvent the kind of idea of actually fighting this this colossal bad guy or this you know this this huge nemesis that you've been following all this time they have to find a way to make that work within the the mechanics that they've set up and to be honest, for Fable 2, I think the fact that they avoided having a, a rubbish boss battle by just, you know, as in mechanically a, a bad boss battle, by <laughs> just not having a battle at all, you know, you, you really just press a button and and it's the end of the game. In a way, they kind of avoided yeah. <laughs> having a frustrating boss battle mechanically like you have say at the end of skyrim it's just a it's just a poor ending because you you just do a very basic button mashing fight against what feels like a regular dragon at that point instead of instead of some kind of all-encompassing <laughs> epic final boss battle i think i think here at least it's um it's almost clever that they avoided that entirely by just making it kind of like an interactive movie section at the end where you just you finally get to see a nemesis and you hear his his bond like spiel about you know this is why i was doing it and it all kind of just 
falls apart around around the bad guy and and he gets offed fairly fairly easily you small-minded fool do you think you're the only one ever to suffer loss i asked the world for nothing but a family and even that trivial request was too excessive such a cold world does not deserve its own existence the new kingdom will have no place for fate or chaos or oh, I thought it'd never shut up. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you want to kill him? I I might just uh, pull into better Sig X20's feedback here because I think he he's mostly agreeing with me and he he kind of makes the point better than I am. Um, <laughs> so uh, he he wrote. Um, the ending was kind of a letdown because I was expecting some sort of final epic boss battle, especially given that my character has spent literally their entire life preparing to fight this villain. But Fable was always more about making choices than fighting, or at least it tried to be. <laughs> so from that point of view, it makes sense that the ending was not about defeating the enemy as much as it was about making the decision, save the world, save your dog, or get the gold. Altruism versus friendship versus material reward. I'm not sure it would have been improved upon by adding a typical hit the glowing targets boss battle against Lucian. Plus, I think many games that allow you to continue to play in a world after completing the main storyline tend to have disappointing final boss battles simply because they have to leave the rest of the world and your hero relatively intact after that battle is over. In games where the final battle is truly the end, the boss battle can be big and epic, but if the adventure continues, then the final boss battle is always just a step along the road, and it doesn't usually feel as satisfying, though I'm sure there are exceptions. And yeah, I mean, I completely agree that in the majority of my experiences, I I can forgive a game like this for having perhaps a weaker boss battle because they do need to get you back into that open world and be like, you're still the hero, you still get to run around, and they can't necessarily manufacture this uh, tense and epic final battle necessarily because because the stakes can't be raised too high, there can't be too much risk of of everything ending necessarily. Um, although, to, to be fair, there are some... You know, the game does end when you get to the end. Uh, off the top of my head, um, Fallout New Vegas ends at the end and you, you can't carry on afterwards. So, um, you know, it's it's certainly possible to do that. But I think certainly in a game like Fable where, again, there's that simulation aspect where you want to continue to have a marriage and you want to continue to have children and, and be a landlord and everything else, you have to make sure that your final battle's not going to gonna ruin that too much, I suppose. Yeah. In, in an effort to not be repetitive, you guys, you and Beta Sig have essentially combined to s say all my thoughts and feelings on it as well. So I'll, you know, I'll take part ownership over over those sentiments, and instead I'll read <laughs> I'll read a few more uh, regarding the ending here because we had we had a few more pieces of feedback about the ending. Uh, Gamertag A Woo just A W O O said. Thinking about it now, I can appreciate what they were trying to do with the ending and the final boss. It felt, oh, sorry, it fell a bit flat since honestly the story wasn't very engaging, but it was still a pretty bold move for what is otherwise a very run-of-the-mill action RPG series. I'm sure it would have had more of an impact if I actually, and we'll have to edit again, if I actually cared about the antagonist or actually had enough investment in the world to feel bad for choosing my dog's life over some nameless NPCs. <laughs> So we, we know which way they went with that final choice. <laughs> and then Gamertag Time in the Long said, Way back in the day, I was also surprised by the final boss battle, in quotes. But the fact the fact is, it makes utter sense. 
Lucian always surrounded himself with power and never made himself personally powerful, while you've made yourself effectively a god by overcoming everything put in your way. Will is so rare, it's scary when townsfolk see it in action. Yet even the most melee or gun-focused hero is likely to be pulsing with willpowers. It's also a bit of symbolism regarding just how empty and hollow Lucian's rhetoric and excuses are. <laughs> and I didn't include it here, but I remember Guardian Angel particularly enjoyed that uh, that perspective. <laughs> so we got the approval of, of one major fan, at least. But uh, we sh I you know, again, I wasn't too drawn into the main quest line. But just out of curiosity, which uh, choice did you make at the end? The needs of the few, the many, or or just yourself? <laughs> so I'm a miserable achievement hunter, so I got all three by scumming the save. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. But no, the, the, the one that I would have picked, uh, and I ended up kind of going into the post game with, was um, saving the people. Um, right, yeah. I felt bad because I had earlier on in the, in the Spire, when you get the choice to either feed the... the prisoners or not i had not fed them because i was i was probably overthinking it well i definitely was overthinking it i was thinking it's better for everyone in the long run if i maintain my cover so that i can get out of here and actually save the world and all that happened was that i just mm -hmm. lost a lot of my purity and goodness so um by the end of it i really wanted to kind of make up for that that one slip in my <laughs> in my uh good playthrough so, so oh that's cool though. That, that kind of that was kind of nice uh, again i suppose i was role playing at that point i was kind of thinking well i think i think my character would have been carrying that guilt around for the rest of the game so presented with the opportunity to kind of wipe the slate clean i think they, they probably would have would have done that um and just borne the guilt of potentially losing the their dog and and their wife um but to be fair, I also did know at this point that I could get the dog back through nefarious means in the DLC, so I went and did that anyway. <laughs> yeah, I, I had just learned that reading some of the feedback, actually. I didn't know about that, although I don't have the DLC anyways. Thought I, I might get it someday. But yeah, and I, to the ending, I, I did the same thing as you. I, it's kind of a yet another trolley problem sort of uh, mm. ending for games, you know. You can... The utilitarian in me says that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, and certainly the monetary gains of just me. So that one was never really in the running, and I know Molyneux stressed the relationship with the dog in leading up to this game. Apparently, from a, a Eurogamer uh, feature I'd read, it was because he had just recently lost his dog in real life, so he kind of just yeah. crammed it into the game. Uh, personally, I never felt much of a connection with the dog, so didn't really, couldn't really see myself bringing back the dog at the expense of so many others. Uh, I mean, honestly, even if I did love the dog, it would still be a difficult choice for me to make just philosophically. But uh, yeah, I think most, most, most people playing the good guy surely go down the many path, but I do wonder how many of those heroes and not, not like the villainous evil characters. I wonder how many heroes maybe do choose the dog. We don't have stats on that. Unfortunately, <laughs> I found something that we don't actually track on TA for once, but <laughs> it would be interesting. Yeah. I mean, also as well, just to, to clarify as you haven't played the DLC, but you don't just get the dog back. You do actually have to do something pretty evil to get the dog back. So, you know, even if like me, people thought oh, I'll be altruistic and I'll, I'll pick the good option. If you, if you do go and get your dog back, you do, you do have to kill someone basically to get it back. So, um, there's no there's no way around it really you do have to at some point be evil to get your dog back
so this seems to be most people's favorite fable, as we mentioned at the top of the show. And I'm wondering if it's yours. But before you answer that, uh, maybe you need to think about it. I, honestly, I still kind of am thinking about it, but it's going to be hard for me to do while I'm reading. <laughs> but uh, let me let me read a couple quicker correspondences uh, just on the overall perspective on Fable 2. So Reborn Insanity said, Maybe it's just nostalgia goggles talking, but Fable 2 was the best one out of the three for me. I first played Fable on the Xbox original as a kid and absolutely fell in love with the game, spending months of free time on it when I could. <laughs> so naturally, when I had an Xbox 360 as a teen and I had heard there was another Fable coming out, I eagerly waited and hyped myself up. The game didn't disappoint. It had new features that worked well with old mechanics and still generally felt like a Fable game, something the third one didn't do as much for me. It was one of the first games I actually went for a full completion on, and probably one of the first games I extensively used True Achievements for back in the day. I even met one of my good friends, Dr. Saw, through a session helping him get the dies. So we've got a, you know, like I said, it, it does seem to be most people's favorite. It's certainly Reborn Insanity's here. Although Legohead 1977 here has a, has a different uh, outlook. They said, I, I just remember having to wade through a lot of conversation, and I didn't really become that invested in the story itself. I enjoyed the cooperative parts and spotting the voice actors, and in general, I enjoyed the game. I must be alone in this, but I probably like the third installment as much as I did this one. Now, I don't... Do you do you have any hierarchy or any any ranking for the, the three main lines sorry, uh, in the series? Well, I mean, I can't... Obviously, I can't include the first one particularly because I... I... I didn't really play it. And to be honest, having played just the 15 minutes of it, I know it would be my worst one anyway, because it's just, <laughs> it's from that era of a certain type of game that I just, I can't cope with, with the way that it kind of moves and is designed and, and, and just mm -hmm. all sorts of features of it that just, just rub me up the wrong way now. So unfortunately that one has to immediately go down the bottom of the pile. But <laughs> um, I think for me with Fable 2 and 3, they almost feel like Fable Three feels like an iteration on Fable Two, so it's very hard for me to pick a favourite because, on the one hand, I don't think Fable Three necessarily does enough to necessarily warrant it being labelled the best because I think it's. Um, I mean, I've even heard previously from some developers when when they've been baffled by people's negative reactions to Fable Three because they've kind of said, "Well, in the background, it's kind of the same game. I don't understand why why people find it sort of particularly." troublesome for for them because because actually from a development standpoint it's it's almost an iteration of, of fable 2 and i tend to agree from a from a consumer perspective it just it feels like you're just carrying on with the game in some ways i mean there's there's certainly some updates to the visual style and and some of the features but it really feels like a continuation of of, of a very similar game so on the whole i'd probably if I had to pick one to play, it'd probably be three because I feel like it's a it's a polishing of the of the same concept. But in terms of um, in terms of realizing that world and and kind of um, being innovative and interesting and crazy and and baffling at times, I think probably Fable Two is is perhaps the <laughs> it's got the 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 softer spot in my heart because it was the start of this for me. It was the start of this weird journey with Albion. Um, so. Yeah, it's an odd one. I, I think I would probably keep flip-flopping. I actually found when, when I went to play them recently, um, as I said earlier, I went from two to three and then a bit of three and then a bit of two and then three again. Every time I 
finish one of them I kind of feel like that's my favorite and then I play a bit of the other one and think actually maybe this one's my favorite so um yeah it's it's a very odd one that I can't really decide (laughs) ultimately which one's my favorite yeah I think because the thing I love most about fable is its tone and its humor and just its general atmosphere like I've said before it's light 101 times now it's charming (laughs) it's it's just fun it it's self-aware it's it's goofy all those things that's what i love most about fable you know i can i can forgive the combat that i don't think is that great and um the main storylines i don't get too involved in a lot of the side quests are where the humor remains and i think in terms of the game that did that best i i think it's actually the first one for me i think i think it's funniest i think it's most charming 102 now uh three i i do still like three like i said i played it and loved it and only realized after that uh i was in the minority group there that that liked it at all i mean well you know at least liked it to the extent that i did i should say but um yeah i didn't i didn't like the setup for three as much in that like one and two you you come from like nothing and three if I recall, you you were like born into the castle already, or aren't you? Do I have that right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're the prince or the princess. Yeah, I didn't I didn't care for that too much. Uh, although I, you know they had the cool like uh, political decision making things that that was a nice wrinkle, but at the time you know that was my first game, and I think since then, since now that I've played all three, I, I do tend to like the first one the best. Although it's aged pretty poorly, even for the remaster. You know, just the simple controls and the map. The map doesn't, like, it It doesn't spin with you, you know? So it's, it's like, if you're, I don't know how to put it, but if you're walking in a certain direction, you're actually, like, going through the, the mini-map upside yeah. down. And you, you're like, okay, it says, uh, it looks like I should go left, but I'm going this way, so it's actually right. Oh, yeah, that's that's why I dropped off. I was just, I can't, not anymore. No, I've moved on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it doesn't orient itself, I guess is the word. It's that that drove me crazy but you know so mechanically it's it's tough to go back to but i think in terms of its tone and its and its sense of humor that's that's definitely the funniest one for me mm-hmm. and then 2 and 3 i kind of like about equally but so like we we've alluded to it a few times already the timing of this episode was works out pretty well because it comes just after the rumors arrived that microsoft has assigned playground games the uk studio behind forza horizon to bring fable back in some way we don't really know how at all we don't even know if they those rumors are true uh first what do you make of those rumors i i asked knowing your opinion for once uh or at least i knew your opinion maybe you've since changed it i'll be curious too uh you know we normally stay quiet to keep things fresh for this podcast but you have an interesting take on the prospects of a new fable so i'm hoping you can share it yeah so when these rumors first came around it'd been a while since i'd played fable and i was still carrying a lot of guess unexpected amounts of baggage about how i felt about the way that that development happened and how lion's head Lionhead sort of fell apart and the idea of another fable right now was just it didn't sit right with me and and initially when i heard that playground games were potentially making a new one obviously this is coming around at a time as well where there's a lot of pressure on microsoft to come up with new exclusive and new ips it just it frustrated me that that in this moment in which they could come up with more interesting new exclusives, they were going to do yet another reboot of a 
game that they could probably afford to drop at least for a while you know it's it's kind of like halo it's kind of like gears of war it's just another microsoft property that's had its ups and downs that they're just gonna try again and throw at another studio and that's 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 failed them so many times before um but a couple of things that happened since then number one i've i've played fable again and i definitely think <laughs> there's room in the market right now for a game like fable to come back um with bringing in all the mod cons of better um better scripting better navigation better ui design all the rest of that to bring that into the fable aesthetic and the fable tone um there's a there's a huge market for that and i think i think it could do very well specifically for microsoft as well because there's a lot of uh people hoping to to return to that world um and the other thing is is thinking more about how what playground games could bring to it now it's worth bearing in mind that they've whatever it is they're working on we don't know it's fable but even if it is they've set up an entirely new studio for that with an entirely new development team so just because they made horizon doesn't necessarily mean that anything from from forza horizon would would carry over but you could certainly hope that some of the sensibilities of forza horizon some of the things that make it great as an open world experience like yeah. the the navigation the the drop in and drop out gameplay the the multiplayer things like that to have some of that implemented into a fable game and to kind of have it as a soft reboot of of the whole experience and bring in there's a, there's an opportunity here to bring in all the promises that the Molyneux made um and perhaps in this generation pull them off um and to have a, a very competent and very um i guess disciplined uh, kind of work ethic that you tend to see from playground and certainly in the way that they've developed games like horizon um and they don't seem to have these these sort of crazy creative directors kind of mm-hmm. flying around and going let's put this in let's put that in they 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 take what they know and they work it really hard until it until it's <laughs> a great experience for everyone i think if you could bring all of that into the fable universe and hopefully without taking away the the oddball charm that fable has um you could end up with an incredible game potentially you know it's a, it's a very exciting thing so uh yeah my opinion has completely flipped from my initial reactive just oh let's not do another fable why are we doing another fable to actually (laughs) you know what there's there's room for it this is a a very interesting um very interesting development studio to be putting on it a very dependable one they're not going to release something i don't think anyway i don't think they would release something until they're ready to release it as long as they you know don't don't have the pressure from microsoft and i think microsoft have enough trust in playground i would hope by this point that they would give them the leeway like someone like uh, rockstar to not release this until they're happy with it you know not not push it out the door when the features are half baked um yeah i'm i'm excited now i've, I've changed my mind completely <laughs> I, I i'm looking forward to and hoping that it could be playground that are working on 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 fable hopefully this year we might hear a bit more about that yeah, yeah, I don't know if we'll hear it. So, Rich, uh, for those that don't know Rich, when we mention Rich, that's the guy who made True Achievements. His gamer tag is even True Achievement. Uh, but Rich, he's visited Playground a couple times to, to demo games when they were in the making. And so he's gotten to know some of the leadership over there. And his takeaway was, you know, it's a new studio. It's a new, like, studio house, essentially. It's it's a new physical location. And there, there are new people, like if the rumors are true, they're, they're staffing up to two or 300 people and they're all going to be new faces. And, you know, if there's any, 
if there's any crossover between the Forza Horizon team and this team, it's not it's not going to be the majority by far. So, mm-hmm. ha- but having said that, he thinks that the leadership at Playground is so strong. It's, it's sort of what you were alluding to as well, that he thinks that leadership is so strong that ultimately, if this is what they're doing or, you know, whenever they do something besides Horizon, Forza Horizon, it's it's going to be a solid and polished and, and worthwhile experience. And I tend to agree. I mean, you know, it's, it's well out of their wheelhouse doing an open world racing game to now doing an RPG, Mm -hmm. but there, there are some sensibilities there, like you said, given that you have to fill the open world with unique and interesting things. And just, you know, there's a certain level of polish that that's almost unmatched in the, in the Forza series, especially Forza Horizon three. That was, that's really like the pinnacle for me and i know for a lot of other people on site we gave it game of the year even <laughs> which doesn't happen often a racing game winning like that and so yeah i think uh <laughs> i i i would even say like I'm, I'm i'm fairly confident that this rumor is true and if it never comes to fruition it'll only be you know perhaps because i guess this is sort of conspiracy theory <laughs> to, to already make up excuses <laughs> why we never hear of it but i i'm i'm so confident in believing the rumors because there was so much smoke there that I just think there's fire there that if we never see it announced, it'll be because maybe it was canned before it ever got to announcement. Cause a lot of people think, you know, if this game is several years off, then we're not going to hear about it this year or maybe even next year. I think it could be several years off when we do hear about it this year or, you know, maybe it's several years off when we don't either way. I, mm. I do think it's real. I'm excited. And, uh, yeah, I, th- I think we've pretty much already touched on, I mean, you certainly just summarized it. Well, what, what they need to maintain and what they need to do differently. And yeah, for me, it's more than anything. It's just that tone. Give us another game that should I say it again? hundred three times is charming. (laughs) I I just, (laughs) if, if they give us a fantasy RPG and it feels something like elder scrolls or, you know, something that we've seen before, that's going to be a big letdown. I'll have wished that they just didn't put the fable name on it. Cause that comes with a certain, certain expectations. But uh, so if they're going to do fable, I hope they do it right and just retain that tone. Yeah. And, and to not to add to the conspiracy theory, but I, I don't have the story <laughs> in front of me, but I know that this new studio playgrounds have, they've hired a lot of development talent from the, um, I think it's Guildford where Lionhead were before, but it's basically, it's an area in, in the UK where it's kind of a little bit of a mecca for British game design. So um, a lot of, hmm. a lot of ex Lionhead developers would have been around that area. And um, a few other companies that are well known for kind of quirky and innovative and uh, sort of daft humor kind of games. Um, a lot of, a lot of talent from that area has been picked up by this new studio. So that also points potentially to something along the lines of fable being worked on a playground but you know it's all still rumors right now but it, it i i tend to agree with you it's it's there's a very strong case for this to be the game that that uh, playground are working on yeah we'll see I, I know just recently microsoft has been touting their i mean it's their job to tout their next e3 show <laughs> as the biggest one ever and like that's that could be easily just pr speak um it wouldn't be the first time they've said that but <laughs> given how much flack they've taken for lacking exclusives lately you know if this one's not ready they'll probably come with a couple other announcements that'll that'll catch people's eye in a big way but i could even see them teasing this one in some way that solidifies the rumors 
even if they can't show us gameplay yet or you know certainly not a release date one would imagine but uh i, I wouldn't be shocked if, if they do in fact reveal this in, in some concrete way this year yeah i mean they can take a leaf out of nintendo's recent playbook and just literally put the title on the screen, and on the screen so <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have uh yeah and to, to that end speaking of like the potential for a revival of the series we have a few more pieces of feedback so nodge says as other people have mentioned many of the decisions you make in the game seem so shallow now Telltale Games or Mass Effect or Life is Strange force some hard decisions with brutal consequences on you, and as a result, those in Fable 2 seem so inconsequential on this replay. I remember thinking when I first played Fable 2 how awful the choice at the end is, but knowing that you can get your dog back in the DLC makes that choice so much less impactful. Fable 4 seems like a pipe dream at this point with Lionhead Studios gone and Microsoft reluctant to return to a main title Fable game, but I think, oh, he said it too. (laughs) <laughs> but I think a charming Fable game with real decisions could feasibly be made now. And then Hawkeye Barry 20 says, The Fable and Star Wars series always make me feel the same. This, this is an interesting take. I like this one. <laughs> as, the, as the series progresses, there are fewer and fewer heroes slash Jedi, and I want to be taken back to a time when they run everywhere. I had read Lion's Head felt that they wrote themselves into a corner with time moving forward too fast between games. But I didn't feel the same. Fable isn't the progression of Albion. It's about the heroes. So they could have easily moved back in time or just taken us to somewhere besides Albion. And then elsewhere in the forums, he continued along a similar path. He said, I was thinking about the Fable series and how they've not really done a good job with making the player decide tough decisions. In most Telltale games, there comes at least one choice that I have to pause the game and walk around just to think about what I want to decide. Fable 4, or, you know, whatever it might be called, needs something like that. They need tough decisions that should have consequences. Fable 4 needs players to care about the world and its inhabitants. They can still make a game with tough decisions at times and still be light and fun-hearted. One would even say charming, I think. (laughs) And then, yeah, in direct response to Hawkeye, DresdenN7 said, Fable 2 was the first game in the series that I had played, so I felt the same way. I wondered how the Heroes Guild operated at the height of its power and what it must have been like working with other heroes. Then I played Fable Anniversary, where my wish of a fully operational Heroes Guild came true. Imagine my surprise when the guild turned out to be pedestrian in importance, and interacting with other heroes, with certain expectations, was dull as dishwater. (laughs) Personal opinion, of course, it's fine if others disagree, he added. (laughs) All of that said, maybe the next Fable should be about rebuilding the Heroes Guild in a modern Albion, meaning post-Fable 3, with a population that is indifferent or even hostile to the idea. Just a thought. I think that one would be a, an interesting angle to take if they're hostile to it. That that's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, I suppose you might be potentially treading on the, the toes of The Witcher with The Witchers kind of trying to rebuild themselves a bit in Witcher Three, um, and people generally being hostile to them. I suppose. I suppose there's well there's always room for that kind of thing i mean to be honest ultimately a lot of fantasy games kind of tread on similar paths where you have ancient guilds that are being resurrected and and heroes with bloodlines and all that kind of stuff i think the only danger perhaps with certainly with with taking it back to a, a functioning heroes guild is that one of the things that i think we all like to do in in certainly in rpgs like this is unearth ancient technologies and unearth um sort of lost stories and and to 
for the characters to exist in a time where everything's kind of up and running and everything's kind of um, business as it was, it does take some of the um, take some of the mystery away. I suppose again to allude to Star Wars, you know, the, the, the part of the problem with the prequels, I think, is that there's 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 so little mystery about who any of these ancient orders are because they're just there and they're just politicians basically they're just Mm -hmm. you know it's just day-to-day politics and that's not really as interesting as kind of talking in hushed tones about this mysterious ancient order that's fallen by the wayside i think that's always going to appeal to people more than than being in amongst it at the moment because ultimately all of our fantasies about how how history may have been or or or, or things like that if we actually lived in the time it would just be humdrum and, and kind of kind of normal hmm. so i guess i'd be a bit wary of of necessarily having a fully operating heroes guild in the game but but that said i suppose if you're actually the one rebuilding it it would be kind of similar to a lot of assassin's creed games where you have you quite often your the central figure in building up a new branch of the brotherhood like you know like Ezio in in Florence and in Rome um you know he's he's kind of dragging up this ancient order and and bringing it into a new world and maybe that could work um I don't know I I I think it's it would be something that they'd have to be very careful about but again as we said I'm sure if it is playground that is the kind of thing they would be exceptionally careful about anyway yeah there's there's so many different angles they could take because they could go backwards in time. They could go forwards in time. And I'm kind of open to all of it. Mm. Ultimately, I just really want to see more of it. And I think we're about to get more of it. So that's, I guess, most exciting of all. <laughs> we probably, <laughs> if we see any of it this year, you know, like I said, I don't think we'll we'll learn much at all because it'll probably just be a CG trailer. If if they've just staffed up a few weeks or months ago, I'd, I don't think they'll yeah. have much to show us. But... <clears throat> To just confirm that it exists, it, it kind of goes against Phil Spencer's new philosophy of not showing things off too early because you don't want another scale bound on your hands. <laughs> but if they have the confidence in Playground that this is going to happen, I, I could see them jumping the gun a bit and, and just you know letting us know that the rumors are true. And what and, what an about turn it would be if Phil Spencer's gone on record saying, I'm not going to reveal things too early and then bam, you've got... <laughs> fable at this year's e3 you know it's it's you know it'd be a risk but it might be one worth taking who knows yeah so we should move on to stats but before and oh of course the giveaways we've got two fifty dollar gift cards to give away um but before we do that it's it's that part of the show we thank you guys for rating and reviewing and subscribing to us on i uh no not not itunes it's apple podcast now i have to remember that branding has changed <laughs> uh as well as for sharing us on social media and we just simply ask to for you to continue to do those things or maybe do them for the first time if you haven't yet. We've carved out what I see as a, a happy little niche on TA. I love doing it every month with the whole community and, and with my co-hosts. And uh, we look forward to growing both TA as a whole and our close-knit playlist community in the the years ahead. As, as you can tell, uh, this is episode 12, which means we've now officially done this for a year. We started last April with Alan Wake. So we've made it one year down. That's pretty cool. So um, <laughs> thanks for everything. I mean, we've got a ton of people who have been in there literally every month. And then we've also, you know, we've got new people every month or just standalone months sometimes if, it, if it's their particular game they've been waiting to play. But uh, it's it's always super fun for me. Hopefully it is for you, Sam. Hopefully it is for everybody listening or commenting <laughs> and playing along. <laughs> and for Kevin. Ke- Kevin's a grunt, but I think he generally likes it too. Hopefully he'll keep joining us. <laughs> <laughs> i'm just saying this because he doesn't listen he likes to have his say 
That's the important thing. I think he'll regret not being here. <laughs> yeah, he also famously doesn't listen to any podcasts ever. He says he's he still has yet to ever listen to one, even his own. Although I can see why you wouldn't want to listen to your own. <laughs> we just recorded the thing. But uh so I'm I'm speaking half in jest about him, just knowing he he won't hear this unless someone goes and tells him me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh so yeah, with that said, let's move on to stats. So in the month of March 2018, we had just over 1,300 people pop at least one achievement, which means 1,300 people are vying for one of those gift cards that we'll give away in a moment. Of those people, 274 started it for the first time ever. 68 of the 1,300 completed the list, uh, which included, I think, like a dozen or so that started and completed it all this month. Which you know isn't especially difficult. It's not the that's not the hardest uh, completion on site, but that's still pretty cool. You can tell that those people were almost definitely pushed by playlist to go and do that, mm. including a couple of regulars. I recognize their names. Uh, just under fifteen thousand total achievements unlocked. Three hundred thousand gamer score and four hundred thousand TA score, which is our our complicated math recalculation based on difficulty, sort of. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So I, I, in total from, from my own unlocks, I got 21 for exactly 500, the last couple of which came thanks to Guardian Angel. So thanks again to him. Uh, how'd you do? So I got 35 achievements for 670 gamer score and 1,000 true achievement score, which brings me up to 100% on the whole game and the DLC. Um, so that was this was a game that before the idea of playlist was or even ta generally was was a twinkle in my eye it was just it was a game that i thought you know what i'm never ever going to finish this game because so many of the achievements had to do with co-op and and so many of them involved sort of sharing with multiple people online and it was it was way beyond um the time that everyone was playing it together but obviously coming to ta and having a community like this that are going to help each other out um it it helped me finish off the list so i have to give a shout out to malakath and to grew the wanderer who between them got me the uh the most tricky um achievements so the doll catcher uh, and a couple of other achievements as well um and they were helping out all sorts of people throughout the month so i think they they contributed to those impressive stats as well so big shout out to those two in particular and and i'm sure a few other people in the forums who have who have helped out people along the way as well cool so now we get to give away two gift cards. Um, the first one, and oh, again, these are from Guardian Angel GG. So if you win one, don't thank us. Go go find him <laughs> and thank him on site. But uh, the first one was is a, is a random draw that we're about to do like right now on this recording. And it pretty much goes to, I mean, it's it's open to anyone who popped even just a single achievement all month. So... We've gone to random.org, as we typically do with these sorts of giveaways on site. We've drawn a number based on the range that Rich gave us in his fancy spreadsheet. Thank you again, Rich, for that. And based on the number drawn, it was that number was assigned to the gamertag Binary Ruse. So congratulations, Binary Ruse. Get a hold of us uh, if you hear this before we get a hold of you, although... It's likely we'll reach out to you first, and we'll we'll put some notes in the podcast story when this goes live as well. So you we won't let you miss it. So congratulations. So yeah, and then as for the other one, because uh, Guardian Angel gave us not one but two gift cards, the other one 
was more merit-based. We basically invited people to post in the forums as they always do, but we decided based on the opinions of the hosts, we would give the other gift card to what we thought was the most interesting or compelling or, you know, whatever adjective. Uh, <laughs> we Basically, our, our favorite comment. And uh, Sam and I have deliberated on it. Kevin missed this one, so he doesn't get any input for once. I'm sure that hurts him. Uh, <laughs> and we thought, you know, it, it's given that this is Fable with a, a charming and funny game, 104. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to give it to Mentok, who told their story of trying to divorce really, really hard and having it fail despite multiple <laughs> uh, <laughs> multiple instances of, of infidelity, of child abandonment, of... <laughs> deaths in your family uh, i think they were up to four spouses at one point and through it all <laughs> uh both craig and ball craig being the the first spouse i guess so he he's perhaps the the most committed through it all uh they just stuck through it and and everyone just stayed together for the kids even though some of the kids died i guess so so con <laughs> so congratulations to uh to mentok for winning that one like we said it's something we hope to do more for future episodes as well um so we'll, we'll see speaking of future episodes we should uh we should quickly just preview what we're playing next month it was a another kind of a runaway poll i guess you could say we'll, we'll talk about what was in the poll and everything next month but in short we'll be playing uh sea of thieves next month which is our newest game yet assassin's creed origins was fairly new but by the time we start sea of thieves it'll actually be even newer just really not even two weeks old i think by the time april kicks off which is tomorrow i've played it a lot my my thoughts are pretty much already very public as i wrote the review i actually wrote a somewhat controversial review because i've been loving the game so far i'm excited to see how my opinion changes with another you know 30 to 50 hours in april uh what are your early thoughts as we head into april with sea of thieves sam oh you know all about my early thoughts mark but um, <laughs> i this is going to be a very interesting month to talk i think because i've i've had i've had a very strange time with sea of thieves so far um you have definitely have i've been playing it a fair amount before the month starts um but i'm my mind is still open um and yeah i'm, I'm intrigued in myself to see where i i stand on this by the time we get to the podcast at the end of the next month so um yeah it should be a good one yeah i th i think you know we can discuss it at length soon but I, I think your experience thus far, as it's been marred in, in some griefing and some just annoyances, mm. I, I want to believe that it's not a typical experience. Uh, but then mine has been so excellent. Maybe mine's not either. And maybe the truth is somewhere in the middle. And maybe with a month and playing with the community for so long as we will in April, uh, maybe we'll maybe we'll find that middle or. Or maybe one of us is just right and the other one's wrong. We'll see. <laughs> and and we should mention Kevin plans to uh, join us for that one too. We can look forward to uh, him bashing the game as, you know, since I love it, I'm, I'm sure he's not going to like it, but that's just my prediction. <laughs> <laughs> so with all that said, thanks again for listening, everybody. And we'll see you on the open seas starting on April 1st. Bye. Goodbye.
It is now officially bedtime. 